as we're tonight we're talking about Micah, and uh, this is going to be a, a this will be a fun one. I think it's one of the funnest ones I've had a chance to prepare. I, it was one of those things where whenever you're whenever you're doing something that you're not familiar with, you go you go and dig into some special stuff like Old Testament prophets. You're like, oh my goodness, what am I going to find on this guy? And we start reading about it, and start digging. Just you don't even got to dig real deep, and it's like, man, God did some crazy cool stuff with these people. And so it, it, it's it's very neat to understand that um. I got to use a pun in this one, even in the title, so I was all excited about that, too. And um, he, did a, he did actually exactly what we're going to talk about tonight. He walked in, gave his spill, and he dropped the microphone and walked out. And so, for those of you who might not know what dropping the mic means, it's like you say something good, you do something good, you just drop the mic and head out, because nothing else has to be said. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to be in the book of Micah. And so if you want to turn there, we also got some scriptures on your handout as well. Um, We'll give some announcements at the end of the service, but I do want to encourage you in this. Um, keep your Bible on you, keep it open, because some of these scriptures I've gotten here, I didn't have room. I didn't want to give you a four-page outline, because that just gets really scary when you walk in and go, oh, we're going to be here till midnight. And so, skip the two pages, but there are some scriptures we'll probably turn to in the Bible and look at as well. But um, Micah is the last um, prophet we're going to do in this section. I know there's 12, there's 12 minor prophets in the Bible. Tonight's the final one we're going to do for a little while, probably till, probably till this fall. We'll take a little break, but we've got some awesome things. Um, in store for this summer, so um, beginning next week with SummerSlam, so um, next week there won't be a regular Wednesday night service, so if you come in here, you're going to see a bunch of kids running around doing basketball stuff, so, and Jesus stuff, so, um, so um, you're welcome to come be a part of it, but it won't, it won't be a regular service next week, it'll be, it'll be part of the, the final night of uh, SummerSlam, our, our um, amped up version of VBS, so um, y'all plan on um, being a part of that, supporting that as well. Um, so let's start talking about Micah, says, rather than be identified by his father or family, Micah is identified by a location. He's known as Micah of Moresheth. Moresheth was located 22 miles southwest of Jerusalem. Unlike many of the other prophets, Micah's call to the prophetic office is not recorded. Although he is never explicitly referred to as a prophet, his power is explicitly attributed to the Spirit of the Lord. All right, first rabbit trail. That, right, right there, you know, a lot of times we try to put a name on ourselves and live up to that name. When actually God says, if you start operating how you're supposed to operate and obeying me, I'll put a name on you. And you don't got to identify yourself as prophet so-and-so or pastor so-and-so or on, brother so-and-so. People recognize the pastor, brother, prophet in you, and they'll call it out of you. On, so rather than trying to make a name for yourself, let God put a name on you and let people, and he'll show it to people and show what it is. And so even though the Bible never says Micah the prophet, it's very, very obvious that Micah is a prophet because he got a whole book in the Bible. So um, let's just, all right, that was free. I won't. All right, the name Micah is translated... As a simple rhetorical question, which is, who is like Yahweh? That's a pretty cool name. Not coincidentally, his book concludes with the question, who is God like you? Micah prophesied during the reigns of the Judean kings, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. His time span parallels the lives of Hosea and Isaiah in approximately 750 to um, 687 B.C. Micah's book is commonly referred to as God's lawsuit against his people. Frightening enough. All right. God was the plaintiff. And Micah was God's lawyer. So, starts off like this. Micah 1, Micah 1 verse 8 says that, For this I will lament and wail. That just doesn't even sound funny at all. Lamenting and wailing. They don't talk like that anymore. I will go stripped and naked. That doesn't sound fun either. I will make lamentation like the jackals and mourning like the ostriches. I the ostriches look pretty, like pretty happy birds, so I don't know what that means. But um, we'll say this. Micah, when he goes to appear before the king, you know, most people are, you know, if you've got to appear before anybody of any kind of, whether it's a job interview or anybody that's kind of above you or over you, you're going to look halfway decent, you would think. You know, but Micah walks in pretty much naked. 
I guess attention getter. I don't know. But um, you walk in, and it's one of those things where you don't want to look, but you have to look. You don't want to look, but you have to look. I, I don't know. But, so I don't know how you, I don't know if you just walk in all, all proud and boastful that you're naked, or you walk in kind of slide in and say your piece. I don't, I don't know how that works. All I know is that that's what the man did. And so when you saw one of those why God, why things, you know. And see, our pastor gets up in a flamingo suit. That's not so bad now, is it? Um, um, could have been much worse, apparently. Anyway, um, so the prophet Micah shows up to address King Ahaz in his court, naked or very near. He was using himself as a visual reference to what the king and his cronies were doing to God's people. So what, what was happening was, in order to keep the Assyrians happy, and we can learn a lesson like this even today, in order to keep the surrounding areas happy that they were afraid to invade them, Micah was taking land from the people of Israel, was taking it from them and giving it to the Assyrians to keep them happy, to keep them from invading the land. And so as, as you go on, go on, you know, he was not only robbing from the people, but he's robbing from God. When he did this, and I don't want to get, I don't want to get too, too far ahead of myself, but the, the, the fact that he was presenting, presenting it just like this, he's like, just as you've stripped God's people of the thing that, 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 that God has given them, I'm going to walk in front of you to give you a visual example of what you're actually doing to these people in a, in a spiritual sense. And so um, Ahaz was a very, very wicked king. And so as he begins to announce these, this judgment upon the nation, they had to realize that Ahaz wasn't used to somebody that was going to buck the system. Ahaz wasn't used to somebody that couldn't be bought. Michael couldn't be bought. He wouldn't be bought. He refused to let, to let any amount of money or any, any kind of threat keep him from saying what God had, had for him to say. And so... It's, it's, a very, it's a very powerful position that he was in, and the fact that um, they didn't just walk down there and shoot him or stab him or whatever right there at the, at the very moment was, was pr- pretty much a miracle in itself. Now, Ahaz had even killed his other sons, other than Hezekiah, the next king. He had killed all of his other sons. It doesn't really say how many there were, but there was at least a couple. He'd killed them because he didn't like their weak stand or their weak position, how they couldn't stomach what Ahaz was doing. So when you have your, even your own children killed because they don't line up with what you think, how much more a, a, a naked prophet walking in, you know, how much his life does he got set aside for him, you know. And so um, even Hezekiah would be beaten and threatened when he didn't act right in front of some of these things that, that Ahaz was doing. You know, if, if Hezekiah wouldn't, was getting kind of squeamish about the way he was stripping land from people or the, the punishment he would put on people when he broke families up, he would be taken and beaten, trying to toughen him up so that when he became king someday, um, the way Ahaz wanted things to go um, would, would move on. And so, let's move on to the next part here. The house of the wicked stands accused. This is where, this is where Ahaz begin, or, or Micah begins to bring the, the, uh, the announcement against, against the people here. It says, Micah, two, Micah chapter 1, verses 2 through 5 says, Hear you people, all of you pay attention. Of course, goes without saying, he was naked. Um, o earth and all that is in it, and let, let God be a witness against you. The Lord is from his holy temple. Um, for behold, the Lord is coming out of his place. And will come down and tread on, upon the high places of the earth. And the mountains will melt under him. And the valleys will spill, split open like wax before fire. Like waters poured down into a steep place. All this is for the transgression of Jacob. For the sins of the house of Israel. You ever notice something? And I can't say this, I can't say this is exact theology. This is just my thinking. Whenever God calls them Jacob, it's because they're doing something wrong. Israel was who the covenant God made with them. When he refers to them as Jacob, it's like, that's the old you. Why are you going back to being old you? When God gives you a name and makes you a new person, you know, let, let's step into who God's made us to be. But so many of us are operating in the, the, the pre-salvation person or the pre-salvation issues we had. When God says, I don't see you as that way anymore. Why are you back over here? And so he calls him Jacob, which was what he 
what they what he was called, which means schemer. So you know maybe that's what he was maybe that's what he was thinking. All right. So what is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? And so right there, God's addressing the, even the rebellion that split the two countries, split, split Israel into two different countries. And so Samaria and the Samaritans became, a, became an issue and became a very, very big racial issue even back even into Jesus' time. Because when, when, um, Judah, when Judah came back and was, was stayed wholly Jewish, Israel and them began intermixing with other races and became half-breeds. And so the Jews hated them. And so even that, even that then, what is, what is the punishment? It's, a, it's Samaria. You know, what, what was happening whenever people began to let ungodly things come into their life. Now, we, we've got to understand this too. When you look at things in the Bible, when people are being, when people are being persecuted and when they're being threatened by their, by their government, by their leadership in this situation, it's not like us. If the government does something bad, we don't associate that with the church. Why? Because in America, there's a separation of church and state. Now here, whenever they see leadership doing this thing, they're thinking, the people are thinking, God is doing bad things to us because our king is doing bad things to us. And so when the government does something bad, we, we don't attribute that to God. You know, when the church does something wrong, we don't attribute that to the government. But here, the, the, two, the two are intermingled because they're in a godly kingdom, or supposed to be. And so the people begin seeing this happen, and so they're thinking the oppression of things that are coming from their leadership is coming from God. And so we've got to realize that in our, our walks as well. And people see you as a godly person. When you begin to do things in, to, to their life or something goes on in your life that you treat them wrongly, they begin to attribute that to God. And so you, you carry a very heavy responsibility whenever you walk as, 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 a, as a child of God. So, there were five charges that um, God was bringing against Israel. The first one was the oppression of the poor. So Micah chapter, chapter 2, verses 2 and 9. Verse 2 says, They covet fields and seize them, and houses and take them away. They oppress a man in his house, and a man in his inheritance. And then verse 9 says, The women of my people you drive out from their delightful houses. From their young children you take away my splendor forever. And so this is what the government was doing. Like I said earlier, they were taking things from the people to appease a wicked government that, um, that Ahaz was kind of in cahoots with. And so, not only was this robbing from God's people, this is robbing from God himself. If you remember, God led the Israelites out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, through the wilderness, crossed the Jordan River, into Jericho, wins this whole land for them, gives them the promised land, and now they're taking the very promise and blessing of God that God gave them, and they're giving it back to the very same people that God took it from. They gave it for them. So they weren't just robbing. God, they weren't just robbing God's people. They were robbing God himself. God set this up for them. God said, I gave you this blessing. I gave you this promised land to expand my kingdom, to bring a, a Messiah in, 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 into the earth. And you're giving it all right back to the very people that I, that I, that I want it back over from. And so for us, for us today, we've got to realize that the things and the blessings that God puts in your life, he puts them there, particularly with a plan and a purpose, so that those very things can be used to expand the kingdom of God. When God gives you a promise, that promise is not for you to just hold up and, and hold on to. When God gives you a gift or gives you a blessing, that's not just for you. That is for you to expand the kingdom. So if you use your talents and your gifts and your blessings for anything other than expanding the kingdom of God, you're robbing God. When God, when God, when God says, bring a tithe, if you don't bring that tithe, the Bible says you're robbing God. Now that tithe, if you look at it, doesn't just apply to, to the money. The tithe applies to your time, to your life, to your family. Everything... Uh, a portion of it goes to God first. And so when you're not dedicating things that God has blessed you with back to God, you're robbing God. When you're not using, we're not using your home in, in the way God want, would want you to, um, you're robbing God. When you're not using your vehicle the way God wants you, you're robbing God. When you're not using, raising your family and dedicating the Lord the way you should, you're robbing God. And that's, just, and that's just how God sees it. Now, God strategically and purposefully bless it, brings blessings to your life 
and they are his. Now, you use them to advance the kingdom, and anything else is to rob him. And so many times you wonder how blessings become cursed. We say, God, if I just had more money. Just that prayer in itself um, shows a lot. But you say, God, if, I, if you just gave me more money, I'd be okay. God, if you just take care of this, I'd be okay. God says, give me your heart first, and then everything else can come with it. The, the problem is we get into a place to where the blessings become curses because we allow, we allow these things that we think we've got to have, we put them in a place, even asking for them over God himself. Is putting us in a place where we where we see that we're in, a, in an area where we are allowing we're robbing God before we even get the gift that um, God is wanting to bless us with. Huh. The next charge he had against him was was the abuse of power, and you can read about this if you just flip over the page of Micah chapter number three, verse nine and ten. See, God had equipped Israel's leaders with power and influence, and they were using it to lead the nation astray. So nine and ten says, "Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob." Once again, he called him Jacob, and the rulers of the house of Israel who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Now, in our life today, God has given us a platform, whether it's your job, whether it's, your, whether it's your, your, you, you as a parent, whether it's with your, any other family. God has given you a platform. God has given you, blessed you to be an influence. And God wants you to take that influence, and we, we, Pastor Joel's been talking about this in this whole, this whole reach series, we are supposed to influence this 20-mile radius. We're supposed to be an influence. We're supposed to have a, a godly influence that we, that we, that we spread out. And we, we make this area look more, more like what Jesus wanted to be, more like, more like the kingdom of God. This influence we're supposed to have is what we're supposed to use, this power we're supposed to use to expand the kingdom. But instead, when God put them in that position, they were, they were using that not only to lead people astray, but they were using it for their own personal gain. So using the influence God gives you for anything other than promoting him and expanding his kingdom is, is, is abuse. So the power God gives you to, for the power God gives you to, to speak into someone's life, the, the ability God gives you to influence people at your workplace, if you use that in the wrong way, you use that to, to pull people, people away from what God would have and do things that, that, that don't promote the kingdom, you're, you're, you're abusing that power God's given you. And just like with the blessing of God, you begin to stop the flow of the blessing because because the blessing isn't being used the way it's supposed to be. The blessing isn't being used to, to promote the kingdom. The blessing isn't being used to return and bless someone else to bless the earth. The blessing is being used to, to see, um, to see um, things take place that shouldn't, shouldn't take place. Now, as a leader, whether you're a leader of a nation, a leader of a, a small group, I'll throw that plug in there, whatever, your job is to protect. A leader's job is to protect. We, 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 get, this, we get this confused, especially in today's society. You know, a leader's job is not always necessarily to provide. You know, a lot of times we think, well, we're, it's our job to make sure, the leader's job to make sure that everybody's taken. No, the leader's job is to protect. And if protection means that you bring in some provision, maybe so. But protection means as a leader, as a shepherd of a flock, however you want to say it, your job is to protect and keep the enemies from coming in. And so as, as a leader, when you're using that power to promote the enemy, to bless the enemy, to do things for, for the wrong side, you're, you're abusing that power that God's given you, and, um, and that, that blessing of being a leader and that authority of being a leader gets, it begins to get cut off. Charge number three, there was a, a lack of integrity. And this is where it really begins to, to step on toes. Micah 7, verses 2 through 6, says this. and It says, The godly have perished from the earth. There is no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood. And each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are one as evil to do it well. The prince asks the judge for a bribe. And the great man utters the evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar. Mm, that's not good. The most upright of them is like a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman, of your punishment, has come. 
Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. Even spouses were betraying each other. For the Lord, for the son of the son treats the father with contempt, and a daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the, the men of his own house. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for God of my salvation. My God will hear me. This this lack of integrity, this, this evil had already trickled down into into the, into the common everyday people of Israel, the very people that God has set aside to, to usher in to usher in Jesus. So the same ruthless and cutthroat methods Judah's leaders walked in trickled down. Now. No one could even trust his neighbor, friend, or family, or like this just said, even their spouse. Now here's, here's, here's what integrity is. Integrity is a oneness between your walk and your talk. Integrity is, is when, when, when people know what you said, they know you're going to back it up, they know you're, you're good for what you said. You know, people, we've got we to realize that as, as Christians, our character is our number one tool for expanding the kingdom. Right. You can be the most anointed, you can be the most powerful, you can be the most quote-unquote loving person there is, but if your character's bad, people, people aren't going to be able to, to stand or tolerate being around you because they know what you say is not going to come to pass. They know that what you talk about is not going to be the walk that you walk. And so as a believer, our number one thing, our number one tool, our number one, I like to say it like this, our hands for carrying the ball of Christianity is our, is our integrity, it's our character. Without that, people aren't going to be able to understand or, 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 or grasp the fact that, okay, well, if God said this, and then it turned out not to be true because they look at you, like I said, they look at you as being in a position of, of God, Right, wrong, or otherwise. There's a lot of pressure, I know, but we are supposed to be Christ in the world today. People look at you in that sense. When, when, you, when you do something that's out of integrity, you do something that's out of a character, you lie, you do, you do something that, um, that shows them that you, that you can't be trusted, it takes a long time to earn that back. It takes a long time to, to earn that person back because they also they equate that to Christianity in general. Why do you think people aren't flooding the churches today? They see us preach one thing on Sunday morning and do something else all throughout the week. You know, and I'm and, and, um, not, trying, not trying to church bash or bash the body, bash the body of Christ, but if we had, we had this love walking, this character thing figured out, we couldn't keep people out of the church. Come on, come on, we, we, wouldn't have, we wouldn't have to go out and try and beg them to come in. We'd have to go out and try and, and, try and convince our, 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 our kids or our, our, our family members. We'd have to try and convince them to come to church and say, oh, it's not that bad. No, we'd be like, when can I go to church with you? I see great things happening, and, and, this, and the influence already begins to take care of itself, and we begin to see God... Simply because they, they know we are who we say we are. Even be somebody they don't like. Be somebody they don't like all the time. You know, don't be somebody they like one day and don't like the next. They may not like your message, but at least your message stays the same. I mean, they didn't like Jesus' message, but it didn't change. And eventually, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that he's Lord. The thing is, even if they don't like it, don't be somebody that's on their side one day and not on their side the next. Don't be somebody that's for them one day and the next day they do something, so you're not on their side the next. No, be a person of love and, and character and watch, what God, watch how God uses you to expand the kingdom. Next charge was they had, there was greed in the name of God. Micah 3.11. And we, we kind of covered it in one of the other, other scriptures. But um, it says, Its heads give, give judgment with it for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, It is not the Lord in the midst of us. No disaster shall come upon us. From the king to the priest to his prophets and judges, everyone was bought and paid for to do the will of the king. Now, judges were paid to judge in favor of the king, and prophets were paid to prophesy misleading words to people. And the priests were extortionists who taught, who taught for pay and charged unreasonable amounts for sacrifices. 
You even saw this in Jesus' day. Jesus had to go in the, in the court to the temple and kick over the tables. Why? Because they were extorting the people that were coming to sacrifice to the Lord. They were doing the very thing. They were taking the very position they were given. They were taking the very, the very thing that God had given them to reach people, and they were extorting people with it. You know, when, whenever people could travel from a long ways away and they would need a sacrifice that they couldn't bring with them from, for several days, they would, they would purchase one there nearby. Well, well the priest would, would corner the market and they would make them buy, buy their sheep or buy their pigeon, whatever they, whatever they had to buy. And then they would, they would charge them a crazy amount of money for it and rob the people. And so, this, this, I mean, this wasn't a new thing when Jesus got there. This was happening way back then. And God, God was, was, was opposed to it. God was angry about it. God was upset with it because the, the, very, the very people that leaders that God had put in place that the people were looking up to were, were robbing people blind in the name of God. Well, if you want to be good with God, you've got to pay all this money for this sheep we've got here. And so you can get this one and walk in with it. No, that, that's, not, that's not what God intended. We, and same thing, same thing in the world today. If you're going to come to church, make sure you dress this way. Make sure you talk this way. Make sure that you don't say this when you get there. Make sure that you smell a certain way. Make sure that you clean up. Make sure you get your life right so you can go to church. Same thing. You know, we act like that was all done and gone a long time ago. No, same thing. We're extorting people, saying that God loves them, but if God, you're going to let God love you, you've got to be this way so God can love you this way. When we know, from what we've been being taught, especially the last few weeks, God loves those people right where they're at. God loves them for who they are. And God's got great things set aside for him. Now, here, here's, here's, here's the big question. A lot of us say we want, want position, we want ministry, and that, and that, and that kind of thing. And, and if God puts that in your life, then, then great, have ministry. But are you, in, are you into God and his kingdom for benefit or position? A lot of us have this idea that we'll get on God's side and God will make it easy for us. And, uh, and if you've been in ministry any amount of time, you realize that's not at all the case. Now, Come on, do you want... <laughs> Do you want ministry for a title or an easy, an easy lifestyle? I mean, a lot of people want ministry, a lot of people, but we've got to understand, and it's something that I was taught very early on, ministry is spelled W-O-R-K. And you can ask anybody, you know, and, um, and we, we get this all the time when you go on a mission trip for a long time, and say, how was your vacation? I can promise you. I promise you, if you've been on a mission trip, you've not been on a vacation. You go to a third world country somewhere where, where, there, where there's nothing, and you, you sacrifice time away from your family and that kind of stuff, and then you come back and people say, well, how was your vacation? I don't know, they don't mean anything by it. But the same thing, it wasn't a vacation, it was work. And people that go on mission trips that have never been don't realize what work really is until you get out there and you're sweating in the same sewage that the regular people are sweating in. And you're doing things for people that, that really need help. It's work. It's, it's, but it, it not, not that it's not rewarding, not that God doesn't bless, not that you don't see God moving great ways. But people don't, people don't want to do the work. And I'm not saying that, I'm not, don't get in the whole grace speech. I know God's grace is sufficient. God is there and God has graced us for who he is. But people don't want to do the work of the ministry. They want to have the benefits of the ministry. And there's a big disconnect there. And I think we've got, we've got to understand that when we want to step into ministry, be ready to step into work. Not that it's bad. I mean, if you're afraid of work, I mean, stay on the couch. But I love the couch. But, <laughs> but I'm not afraid of work either. I just know when it's time to not work. But anyway, and that's something that's very important too. If you are in ministry, take, take some time. Make sure you take care of you and your family. You know, that doesn't mean that you work all the time. But don't be, re be ready for the hard stuff. Be ready, to, be ready to buckle down and be ready to, to do the work of the kingdom. And God will reward you for it. Now, final charge, charge number five. Heeding false prophets. This is chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. It says, do not preach, thus they preach. Once you not preach of such things, disgrace will not overtake us. Should this be said, O house of Jacob, has the Lord grown impatient? Are these his deeds? Do not my words 
Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly? But lately my people have, been, have risen up as an enemy. You strip the robe from, from those who pass by trustingly without thought of war. The women of my people you drive out from their delightful homes, their houses. From their young children you take away my splendor forever. Arise and go, for this is no place, this is no place to rest, because of my, uh, uncleanness that destroys with grievous destruction. If a man should go about and utter, utter, utter wind and lies, saying, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink, he would be the, he would be, he would be the preacher for this people. So basically what, what, what all that's saying is that people were going to the preacher or the prophet that made them feel the best. That's not always the right way to go. And we see, this all, we see this all the time in ministry. People are going to come to you wanting a pat on the back. And they want, they want, um, how do I put it? I don't want to mess it up. They want validation, not correction. Come on, they want somebody saying, oh, it'll be all right. Just keep on, keep on walking. God will get you there. And he will. But at the same time, when you go to somebody, when you go to a minister or go to somebody to speak into your life, don't go to them and expect them to just tell you this fluffy, happy story and expect you to change. Change is never easy. Change is never fun. But if it gets you to a better place and it gets you out of the mess you're in, then yes, you should change. That's where the work of the ministry comes in. You've, you've, got, to, you've got to be ready to be in that place to where, where um, you know, if, if I, you know, this is kind of, this is kind of where I've been. If I'm, if I'm going to come here every Sunday morning and that Pastor Joel just kind of pumped me up and fluffed me up and walked me out the door, I can do that at home. I can, I can watch some cool outdoor show and sit there and, and watch them build a fire and go try and do it myself. That's easy, you know. But I want to come and I want to be challenged. I want to be grown. I want to, I want to be changed. And every, every person that's a believer should want to be changed and grown and look more like Jesus every day. So, you know, don't come to us, Mom, especially if you want, to, want, to, want a nice little pat on the back and be told that everything's going to be fine. No. Come and, expect to, come, and expect, come and expect to change. Come and expect to have, have God speak something into your life. But when he does, don't get mad because you're told to change. The very reason you came was because you needed to change. Right. Just because somebody tells it to you doesn't mean that there's some bad person. You know, let, let somebody speak your life. Don't always go to the person that you think is going to tell you the happiest story. Because the happy story might not be the truth. Right. Fairy tales never, never helped anybody. Yeah. Here's another thing with that. Don't allow just anyone to speak into you or your family's life. You need to be very, very discerning about who you allow to speak into your life. You don't just go out there and say, oh, well, they, they, seem, to be have, they seem to have it going on. What's God got for me? That's, right. That's kind of a dangerous place to be. People have ended up in bad marriages. People have ended up in, bad, in, in whole other countries because God told them through somebody else they don't even know they're supposed to go across the world. Maybe so, maybe no. But if it doesn't bear witness with your spirit, if it's not something that God's already put in your heart, then you probably ought to check up on it. Well, people are very, very quick to go, and they, they find that, oh, this guy's the hot item ticket right now. Let's go see what he's got to say to me. And he may speak truth. He may not. He's a person. I'm not saying he's trying to deceive you even. But you've got to be very, very careful who you allow to speak into your life, who you put your trust in, especially, especially when it comes to spiritual matters, because God's got great things he wants to speak to you and show you, but sometimes he just wants to tell you himself. And sometimes he's just going to tell you himself and then say, go over here and so-and-so is going to just say that just to confirm it. But if God hadn't already told you, then you probably ought to really just do some more praying about it and say, God, is this right? If not, let it slide. You know, it doesn't always got to be, be, the, be, the, be, the, be the big picture, be the big, the big shebang every time God wants to move. Sometimes that, that still small voice uh, goes a long ways. Now, truth must be what you seek, even if it's not what you want to hear. It's, not, it's about, about more, more, more about what you need than what you want. You know what I mean? I've got to realize, me personally, it's more about the broccoli than the mashed potatoes sometimes. And that's a big statement because mashed potatoes are where I live. Um, <laughs> but it's more about the asparagus than the, than the peach cobbler. And I don't like peaches that much, so I can do that. But 
But the thing, the thing about it is we've got to realize if we, always, if we always go for the taste good, feel good stuff, we're never going to be challenged, we're never going to grow. You know, we love the, I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, we, we, lo- we, love, we love those messages, and that's great, and we will. But we, we've also got to get to the um, check your heart part of the Bible, too. You know, fall in line with, 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 with what the Word says. And so, um, like, just like David prayed, show me anything in, in, your, in me that makes you sad. Show me anything that, that you want to change. God, show me anything that I need to fix to be more like you. Those aren't the easy prayers to pray because he answers those prayers, right? You know, we don't always answer the give me a million dollar prayer the way we want them to. But we'll, we'll do the whole, uh, hey, uh, God, what's wrong with me? Show me. That, that music comes pretty quick. <laughs> it's because he wants to show you the things so he can get you the place of blessing that he wants you to walk in. We'll talk about some more of that here in a second. Finally, the verdict. Micah 6, verses 1 and 2. It says, hear what the Lord says. Arise and plead your case before the mountains. In other words, here's what you got. You got one, last sec- one, one second to say what you're going to say. Let the hills hear your voice. Hear you, O mountains, in the indictment of the Lord, and your endearing, enduring um, foundations of the earth. For the Lord is an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. Now here, here's, where, here's, where the, here's where the irony comes in. God wasn't only the plaintiff in this case. God was the judge, too. So, you know, they were, they were stuck. You know, they, they was, it was done. So he, he was also the judge, and his verdict in Judah's sentence was already in. And of course, it's obvious, guilty. I mean, very obvious, guilty. There, there's, there's no defending what they were doing. You know, they were found guilty of several counts on all five charges. They were, fi- they were found guilty of heeding false prophets over and over and over. They were found, found guilty of greed over and over. They were found guilty of lack of integrity over and over. They were found guilty of oppression over and over and over. And so th- there, there was no denying, there was no swaying from it. And so the sentence was already, was already in two. It was exile. God's pretty much like, you like the Assyrians so much? You like their way so much? You like their God so much? Well, here, they're going to come get you. And you can go be with them and see just how good their God treats you. And he didn't treat them too good. But there was a, rep- there was a reprisal here. There was, a, was a, rep- a, little, a little sentence reduction that God gave. See, Ahaz died shortly thereafter with an unrepentant heart. But his son Hezekiah remembered Micah's words and destroyed all the idols and the altars of Baal. So you can look at that in 2 Kings 18. We won't turn there. But it says Hezekiah did as his father David did and turn the hearts of people back to God. Amen. And so for that 29-year reign, you know, that, you know, what Mike was speaking was God's ready to do it right then. But when, when um, Hezekiah stepped in and turned the people's hearts back to God and began to put the nation back on course to God, God said, all right, all right, I see it. See, the Bible says God repents too. You know, God was talked out of destroying Sodom and Gomorrah all the way down to one last person. God was talked out of, out of you know, Moses talked God out of destroying Israelites in the desert. I mean, God, God says, if, if you're willing to repent, I'll repent too. Not that God to change his mind in that, in that repentance. Well, what, what it was saying was, God's like, okay, I'll hold off. I, I, God is wanting to bless you. God is wanting to take care of you. God is wanting to show you, show you love upon love upon love. He's wanting to show you kindness after kindness after kindness. And if you'll just, if you'll just turn a little bit, God will begin to pour that in your life. God will begin to show you his grace. God will begin to show you his mercy. And so even then, even in that situation, 20, the 29 years of Hezekiah's reign, God blessed the nation. God, God kept, the, kept the Assyrians out. God, God took care of them. But sadly enough, as soon as Hezekiah died, and went right back to their old ways, and the Syrians came in. So, live and learn. Those 30, 30 years of grace that God gave them. But, those, those 29 years, God, God showed how much he loved them by delaying, by delaying the punishment. As mad as he was, and, and all, as, as guilty as they were found, God came in and said, all right, you're, you're looking back at me, you're repenting, you're turning, and my blessing is waiting for you to, for you to walk in. Because God's, God's desire is promise and not punishment. God, God, is always, God set them to a promised land. God's got a promise of, of newer, things, newer things to come in your life. 
God's got greater things set aside for you to walk in. He's got promise after promise after promise. He doesn't want you to be in the punishment side of things. He wants you to be in the promise side of things. He wants you to be in the grace side of things. He wants you to walk in the anointing and the blessing that he's promised that, that you that you be in. The Holy Spirit w- was a promise that he gave to us. He said, if you just, just ask, I'll give you the Holy Spirit. He wants you to walk in the promise. And, and the, the, the cool thing is, as harsh as Micah's words were, as harsh as some of this stuff was to hear, right before he walked out and dropped the microphone and, and just split right out of there with his, with his naked self, um, which I'm sure he's glad that was all over. But the thing, the thing about it was, as harsh as all that was, riddled all throughout, riddled all throughout this, this prophecy through this book, there, there, there are little things where, where God puts in there, but I want mercy for you. I want, I, want, I want love for you. I want kindness for you. Just like he said here in um, Micah 17, verse 18 through 20, he said, Who is God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the moment of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever, praise the Lord, because he delights in steadfast love. All right there, we should hold on to that. He delights in steadfast love. I mean, you can hang on that whenever, whenever you're going through things, whenever you've done something wrong, whenever you've messed up, God delights in steadfast love. He wants to show you his love. He wants to pour his love out on you every chance that you'll, that you'll let him. He will, he will again have compassion on us. Thank you, Lord. He will tread out our iniquities underfoot. You will, cast, you will cast all our sins in the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham. As you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. See, God's not like us. God doesn't change his mind. <laughs> you know, God doesn't go, go back on his word. God doesn't, God's love isn't fickle. It doesn't go love you one day because you've been good, and the next day he doesn't love you so much because you've been bad. Now, God's desire is for you to walk in his abundant provision and love every day that you live. God wants you to walk more and more like him and become more and more like him so that you can see the blessing of God take place in your life. The worst team would go ahead and come forward and begin to start playing. That'd be, that'd be wonderful. I'm going to go ahead and close, close up. And, he, and, and, and then Mike goes on to even tell us how that works. Micah 6, 8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? It's very simple. But walk in justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. God's desire for you is the same. He wants you to experience His promises, the blessing of His obedience. God is actively seeking a way to bless you. We, we got this mindset that we got to act right a certain way, and we get in this, even, even those of us that are, that, are, that are big on the grace message, which, which I am, but we, we, have, we still have this mindset like, if I just do a certain way, I can get up here and I can get a blessing out of God saying, no, God is pushing blessing at you. God, God is actively seeking to find a way to put blessing into your life. And all it takes is a simple act of obedience and God begins to pour blessing and push blessing and God is waiting for just you to crack the door open so he can flood your life with his blessing. And we, we, we have this mindset that if, well, if I do this and I do that, and there, obedience is the key. Obedience is, 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 is something that's very important. But... God, God says, if you just, if you just walk, walk my way just for a little bit, you'll begin to see how good I am. You'll begin to see how much I love you. And, and God doesn't force you to do anything, but God, God says, if you'll just begin to walk in a way that honors me, begin to, begin to just like those three, three simple things, if you'll if you begin to do justice. I mean, be, be, a, be a person of integrity. Walk rightly in front of people. Love, love kindness. I mean, we, should, we shouldn't have a, a ill will towards anyone on the planet. I mean, it's hard. I know that there's people out there that we disagree with, and whether it's a political figure, whether it's, whether it's ISIS, whatever the situation is, God does not want them to perish. God does not want them to go to hell. God does not want them to, 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 go off, to leave this planet without knowing Him. We're not going to reach Him through war. We're not going to reach Him through back-talking. We're not going to reach Him through debates and arguments. We're going to reach Him through kindness. God says to love kindness. 
You should, you should, you should, the person that does you wrong, you should, you should be in a place where God open the door so I can, so I can show him kindness. Open doors so I can show him love. That's love and kindness. That's saying, God, I, don't, I know it hurts. And I know right now I'm in a place where I am angry and I'm upset. But if you just give me a place to show them kindness, I want, I want to show them the love of God. That should be our prayer. And walk humbly with our God. Humbly doesn't mean that you're on your, on your face groveling all the time. Humbly means that you're walking hand in hand with God, knowing where your power comes from. Knowing who he is. Know, knowing that, that um, as, as great and as awesome and as, and as amazing as he has made you to be, none of that's possible without, without walking side by side with him. Humility says, I'm reaching out to bless you because I've already been blessed. I'm not trying, I'm not trying to do anything that, that God doesn't already want to do for you. I'm not taking any credit for myself. I'm simply saying that God loves you, so I'm going to extend that same love that he gave to me into your life. If y'all would stand with me.